Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, church family. Hope you're doing well. We uh, aha moments of life. When you think about that, and an aha moment is that moment when you receive a flash of insight that makes clear an area of your life that was previously a struggle to navigate, and it's like, aha, that's how that works, and boom, just opens up a path, and it's a gift, aha moment. Is there one, if you said this was my aha moment, one that immediately jumps to your mind today? Maybe a great uh, dinner table conversation or small group starter conversation. Aha moments. In the realm of sport, I remember piecing together the reality that hard work equals improvement of skill, which equals win. And there came a moment when I didn't need a coach to tell me, go sweat. It's like, I want to sweat because I want to win. In the realm of marriage, I remember the aha moment of standing out in the driveway with my neighbor, Art Kupke, who was had been married like 50 plus years, and I was bemoaning the fact that I had to repaint a wall another color. I'm like, how many times in my life am I going to have to repaint a wall for Tam? And she doesn't make me do that often, or never makes me do that, but I was repainting a wall. I'm like, what was wrong with white? And he says to me, John, a woman wears everything. She wears that wall. That's why the color's going to change. Get used to it. She wears the kids. She wears the fridge. That's why the fridge matters. She even wears you. That's why when you go out on Saturday night, it's kind to ask her, honey, how do I look? Is this all right? (laughs) It's the way a woman thinks. It was like, oh, that unlocks all kinds of mysteries. In, in, uh, in, In parenting, I remember hearing that encouraging news. It was an aha moment. Even with all this technology, even with all this peer pressure and all this stuff, the number one influence on a child is still who? Mom and dad. But here came the aha moment. It was actually more of an uh uh-oh moment. It's not what mom and dad say. It's who mom and dad are. Who I am is who my kid won't be most influenced by. And it was like, uh uh-oh. (laughs) <laughs> there are some parts of me that need to change to be a, a lot more like Jesus real quick because <laughs> that's, that's going to be way more impactful than, than what they see on the phone or what the friends say or whatever. The uh, aha moment, we have in many in following Christ, but one of the, the first ones that, that hit me early on was the power of the Word of God as daily nourishment. And perhaps you, I'm sure you've experienced that as well, but where Jesus, when He said, We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It wasn't a polite suggestion. Like, this would be a good idea if you, you, uh, it's like, this is crucial. Just as my body will be sustained today because of lunch, my soul can't go a day, hours without His word nourishing me and sustaining me. And what a gift that God has given us His word, And, and Wes Uh, during our worship time led us to read Psalm 121, which this week, honestly, Tuesday, I I came to end of the day with a soul that was struggling, 
And I've been feasting on Psalm 121 all week, and it's fuel, isn't it? Where, where the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? The mountains are problems in life. Then he says, my help comes from the maker of that mountain. <laughs> the one who can move that mountain. The one who can pick me up and put me on the other side of that mountain if he wants to. Or blow a hole through that mountain. That's where my help comes from. And then he goes on to describe our God's help. He says, he will not let your foot slip. He cares about the details of my life. Like the next step. And he doesn't slumber or sleep. When I go to sleep, he's up. And he's a shield at my right hand. He's present with me. And he watches me over during the day, during the night. He, he will watch over my life forever. And he ends it. He will watch over our coming and our going today into eternity. There will never be a moment that we're, not out, that we're outside his providential loving care. Isn't that awesome? Aha moment. Just, Lord, Help me live on your word as I seek to follow you. Well, today's truth is one of those, it's an aha truth that is powerful to do two things. One, to protect us from error of misapplying a large part of the Bible. And two, to propel us into our primary vocation, which is worship. And so it's, it's out of Hebrews chapter 8 is where we're going to, to, to be it's a, an aha truth. I'll, I'll give you the, the, the title of the truth, and then we'll unpack it. You say, well, what is this truth? What's it about? Here it is. It's new covenant clarity. New covenant clarity. And the goal is when we walk out of here in just a few moments that we will all have greater clarity about what the new covenant is such that when somebody asks you this week, hey, what do you love about the new covenant? It, it's like asking Mike Moore what he loves about Purdue basketball. There's just not enough time. Uh, you just can't stop talking about it, all right? New covenant clarity protects us, and it will propel us as we seek to, to live out our primary vocation. So if you would, is, uh, join me in Hebrews chapter 8. If you're new to our just joining us today, we're in this series on Hebrews, and I'll, I'll give us a quick review of Hebrews. We'll call this a, uh, try to do this in 60 seconds. The big goal of Hebrews is he's talking about how to have access to God. How is it that we as sinful people can actually enter the presence of God? And, and the, the wonderful truth that we've been soaking in is it's through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Start in Hebrews chapter 1, and what's he say? He opens it up, first four verses, powerful. He says, in the past God spoke to us in many ways, but in this age he has spoken to us through his Son. And what was the big idea then? Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, therefore we must pay the most careful attention to what Jesus said so that we don't drift away from God. Then he goes over into chapter 3, and he says, okay, now let's fix our thoughts on who? Jesus. 3-1, fix our thoughts on Jesus. Why? Because he is our high priest. And we, we went into chapter 4. Tyson took us into that, that text and ended it with how God describes his throne as a throne of grace. And Hebrews 4.16 is a, a precious verse that says we can enter God's presence with confidence because we have a high priest who, who um, empathizes with us and, and um, we can find the mercy that we need, the help we need in, in our time of need. He goes on to begin to describe Jesus as our high priest in chapter 5, but then he hit, calls a timeout when he begins to describe Melchizedek, 
and sees our, our eyes kind of blur over. And remember, he challenges us. Guys, you got to stay hungry. We have these foundational truths, but now we're going to build up with some truth, truths that are really important for us to become mature. And the first of those is, Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which if you summarize that, you get to the end of chapter 7, it's, it's this. Hebrews chapter uh, 7, last verse, he says, For the law, the law of Moses appoints high priests as men in their weakness, but the oath, and this was a theme, the oath of God, which came after the law, appointed the Son, Jesus, who has been made perfect forever. He is our perfect high priest forever. And that brings us to chapter 8. The, uh, here the preacher summarizes it. He says, now, the main point of what we are saying is this. So main point, can bring it all together. We do have such a high priest who is perfect forever, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So here he pictures, and I love the, the image. Theologians have said this is significant that Jesus is sitting down. His work is done. The earthly tabernacle, you won't find a chair. Why? Because the priest is always offering sacrifices. There's always a need for sacrifices. But in heaven, the high priest sits down. And the sac- his sacrifice paid for our sin once and for all. But it does raise the question, okay, this is an interesting concept. There's a tabernacle. And, and what, what does the earthly tabernacle then, what's the purpose of that? And good question. He goes on in verse 3 to explain. He says, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a high priest, for there, there are already priests who offer gifts and sacrifices by the law. Verse 5, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy, it's a, the uh, idea of a pattern and shadow of what is in heaven. That is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. And we know that text is over in Ex- Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, where God warns him, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on this mountain, the mountain where he received the law. Okay, now we come to the the primary truth of the day in chapter 6. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 6. He says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, talking about the high priest, as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant, you might circle new covenant in your Bible, is established on better promises. Now at this verse, we are just hit with a flurry of questions. What's a covenant? And what's the old covenant? Which one's he talking about? And what's the new covenant? And what's, how is Jesus a mediator of the, the covenant? And the big one is, what difference does this make in our lives today? Like, how does this play out in our lives today? Let's read on. Verse 7. He says, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, So it wasn't the covenant that had the fault, but the people who were part of the covenant 
And here's what he says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will, be not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. So we're asking, okay, which covenant's he talking about? When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. So this clarifies the covenant that, that's in view. When he says old covenant, which one's he talking about? The one he made with Abraham, the one he made with David. Which one's he talking about? It's the one he made with Moses when he led the people of Israel out of, out of Egypt. Thankfully, we, we can drop in on this covenant and get a window into what exactly was going on with this old one because the new one's not like it. So in what way is it not like it? Well, let's roll over to Exodus chapter 24. And we'll read verses 6 to 8. Moses has called the nation together. He set up some altars. He's uh, t- had the young men sacrifice some, some bulls. And he says in verse 6, Moses took half of the blood from the bulls, the sacrifices, and put it in bowls. The other half he splashed against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant, so this was the law, and he read it to the people, and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. So there's the, God made, made his will known, his, his law known. The people agreed to it. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. And then as we, or, or just to summarize together here and bring this together, we understand a covenant is an agreement. The terms of the covenant set by God, it's agreed to by the other party and the the other party would be the nation of Israel here. The purpose of the covenant is to provide a way for sinful people to live in the presence of a holy God, to draw near to him. We see that Moses is the mediator of this covenant, and it was confirmed by a blood sacrifice, sprinkled on the altar, sprinkled on the the people. What's really important to notice here, though, is This old covenant is conditional, which most covenants were. And it was conditioned on the faithfulness of both parties who entered into this covenant to keep their side of the deal. If either party does not keep their side of the deal, their obligation, the other party is released from the covenant. If Israel obeys God, as the covenant explains, and we see it, we'll we'll read it a couple verses that, that flesh this out, What does God promise to do? He will bless them. And if Israel disobeys God, does not keep the law, what what does God promise to do? He allows curses to come on them. We see this in graphic detail in Deuteronomy chapter 28. He gives the blessings for obedience. And I'll I'll read just brief. He says, verse 1, "If, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings will come on you and will accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city, blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. Your basket and your kneading will be blessed. You will be blessed when you go out, blessed when you come in. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you 
bless you, bless you, bless you. Everything that it is the promise of physical and financial blessing if they obey God under the old covenant. Conversely, you read the rest of chapter 28, he takes all those blessings and he says, if you disobey this law, you don't keep your side of the covenant, you will be cursed in the country, cursed in the city. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. Your barns will empty out. You will not have physical prosperity or financial prosperity. You will uh, ultimately lose your freedom. And, and the, actually, the curses section goes quite a bit farther than the blessing, I think, just to, to warn them to keep their end of, of the covenant. You, you feel the, uh, the urgency in this when you turn to the uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses being the mediator of this covenant, he's begging the people. De- Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, he says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land that he swore to give, up, give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the question becomes then, how did Israel do? Did they keep the covenant? Like, what happened? And we see it in the second part of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 9. It says, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away, turned away from them declares the Lord. The story of, of Israel, as we read the Old Testament, we see, did they keep the covenant? They had a few bright spots, and anytime they were living in obedience to the covenant, God blessed them. But the vast majority of the time, they failed to keep the covenant. And it's a sad story of, of decline. They, lo- they even lost the book of the covenant one time. And, and remember when Josiah finds it, and he's like, they're digging through some rubble in the temple, and they, find, they come across the covenant. And Josiah's like, guys, how did we lose the covenant? <laughs> and he's like, we are going to renew this right now. And he, it's a moment for the nation where they renew their commitment to their side of the covenant, and God blesses them for a season. But ultimately, they, they, uh, they do not keep the covenant, and they, uh, they end up just headed into about the captivity, Babylonian captivity, but what's so neat about this, and our God being a God of hope, it's at their lowest point. Babylon, the, the armies of Babylon are coming their way. The judgment's going to come, and who does God give the, the promise of the new covenant to? To say to his people. The weeping prophet, Jeremiah, who, whose job it was in a tough calling, his job was to turn the lights out on Jerusalem and say, guys, it's game, set, match. We're going into captivity. But God gives Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, the promise of a new covenant, which he quotes right here in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 and following. Check this out. This is the good news. Verse verse 10, what are the better promises of this new covenant? Here it is. This is the covenant. God is talking. I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, after the law, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sin no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So what is the new covenant? Okay, I'll, uh, we, we, hear, we see it here. I'll give five observations that, that help us gain clarity. But I encourage you to, on your own this week, dig into this. First observation, notice, and this is significant, the new covenant is entirely up to God to fulfill. The responsibilities of the new covenant are all on Him. Normally in a covenant, as with the old covenant, there were obligations from two sides. God would keep His side, we would keep our side. But what's unique about the new covenant is that the responsibility is solely on the Lord. He says, I will, I will, I will, I will. And there's nothing that he looks to us and says, this is what you need to do to receive this covenant blessing. It's solely on him. When you enter the new covenant through faith in Jesus Christ, you are forever saved. How? By His grace alone. (laughs) Right? Guys, this is the new covenant blessing we live under. Old covenant, you had to keep the law. New covenant, we will keep the law. How? By His empowering grace. You say, well, how in the world is that going to happen? It brings us to the second observation of the new covenant. God says, I am going to make an internal transformation. The new covenant is observation number two. It involves internal transformation. And and what is this? He said, I am going to write my law. First covenant, where did he write his law? It was on a stone tablet on the mountain, and Moses carries it down, puts it in the ark of the covenant, and there's the law. But what's God say in the new covenant? I'm taking my law off stone tablets, and I'm going to write it on the minds and the hearts of my people. Inscribe it upon flesh so that we know it and we desire to do it. Now when Jeremiah is is saying this, they had to be thinking, how is this going to happen? And we know this was a mystery to many. The prophets didn't fully understand what they were prophesying. But what do we hear Jesus say when he comes and says, guys, I'm about to go and it's a good thing I'm going to go because when I leave, I'm sending you a gift, the Holy Spirit. And what will he do? He will teach you all that I have taught you. How did God write his law on our mind and hearts? The the promise of the indwelling spirit of God. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, enter the new covenant, we are reborn. We are new people, new creations. The spirit of God makes us alive and we now have the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ to follow him. That's how that, that it happens. What a gift God has given us in in the Holy Spirit. I love the quick side note on, and this is a whole other message on the spiritual life, but when we come to faith in Christ, we receive the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. Really, the big goal is, 
How do we live in step with the Spirit? But have you noticed all the commands regarding this, how we walk with the Holy Spirit, are passive? Be filled with the Holy Spirit means surrender yourself to Him. Keep in step with the Spirit, meaning you don't have to tell the Spirit what to do, just follow Him. Don't quench the Spirit regarding ministry nudges that he gives us. When the Spirit nudges you to go love somebody, don't quench him. Don't, don't shut him down. Don't say no. And don't grieve the Spirit. When the Spirit says, this is the will of God, go this way, don't say no to the Spirit. What, what's he saying? God, who's doing the work? It's God in us. Our job is just to, it's passive in a way. It's, it's past active in that we are actively passive, but allowing the Spirit to lead us, Right? <laughs> What hope this brings. This is new covenant promise, new covenant blessing, and new covenant living. Third observation. The purpose of the new covenant is what? The aim of the new covenant is intimacy with God. I will be their God. They will be my people. And notice he doesn't say they will know a lot about me. What's he say? They will know me. What what God is given us in this new covenant is not a list of things about him but an invitation to know him and don't you love the part where he says from the least to the greatest this is for everyone that that we would all um, as we come to faith in Christ step into this treasure of knowing the Lord and then the fourth observation the new covenant was established when Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice for our sin Today we'll observe communion, and as we do, we read this text where Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25 says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this when you you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember the old covenant was established by the blood of bulls, a sacrifice. The new covenant, when did it come into play? When did it start? Jesus says, holding up the cup, representing his blood that would be poured out on the cross for us. He says, this cup is the new covenant. This is what establishes, confirms, this is what makes this covenant possible and puts this covenant into play. And so when we ha- celebrate communion, we're celebrating this covenant that God has given us, this promise. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And then the fifth observation is the new covenant makes the old covenant obsolete. It replaces it. It's a new day in God's redemptive plan. The new covenant promises are playing out today, but we live in the wait, don't we? And as we think about the new covenant, we experience the benefits of the new covenant, but the the promises of the new covenant will be fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes back and our redemption is complete. And that's our, our hope as we look forward to the future. So it brings us to the question, or just to bring it all together here, and this has been a lot Uh, But here it is, bringing it together. God, big idea. God made a new covenant with us through Jesus. The challenge is to live with new covenant clarity. Why? 
does new covenant clarity matter? And here are two reasons. One, it protects us from error. Two, it propels us to worship. First, protect it. what error does it protect us from? It protects us from the error of drifting back into old covenant thinking, specifically around those seasons in life when we experience suffering. Now, I can hear you thinking right now, John, of all the things I'm worried about right now, it's, it's not drifting back into old covenant thinking. Like, I, I, I'm not even really worried about the coronavirus, but I'm really not worried about drifting back into old covenant thinking. <laughs> it's not on my radar. But, but may I suggest to you, this is more prevalent and dangerous than we may imagine, okay? And, and it, it can do, if we drift back into Old Covenant thinking, it can do great harm to our faith, our relationship with God. It can create doubt, and it can even leave us drifting from God instead of running to God, especially in our seasons of suffering. You say, why is this? And here it is. Under the Old Covenant, if we obey God, we get blessed. If we disobey God, we get cursed. We suffer. Under the New Covenant, God does not promise physical and financial blessing. What does He promise? Himself through the ups and downs, and He promises you will suffer. Because in fact, His redemptive plan is going to play out in the weakness of our suffering for His glory, and He's going to bring good through suffering. It's the way of the cross. But if we're thinking Old Covenant, when we hit a time of suffering, what happens? Example, you come to that point in your life where you realize, all my stuff is God's, and and He's called me to give generously. And you say, okay, I'm going to give, and you go back to the Old Covenant, where we were commanded to give a tenth, and then actually... More than that with all the offerings, but a tenth. Nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to give a tenth. We, grace giving, we should give even more. But you say, okay, I'm going to give a tenth. And so you, you say, I'm going to give a tenth of my income. And this is big. I mean, this affects your, how, your lifestyle, but you go for it. Because you think, if I give a tenth, God will bless me. In fact, I've got a promise on it. As you turn to Proverbs chapter 4, or I'm sorry, 3 verse 9 and 10, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. So first amount of money that you make, you give, give back to the Lord. And what will happen? Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Who doesn't want an overflowing barn? More money. So if I give to God my income, he will bless me. And I'll have another barn full of stuff. Old covenant thinking. So you do it. Start giving to God, start generous, and what happens? You lose your job. Lose your job. What? If I'm thinking Old Covenant, two things must be true. I have two options. One, God is not faithful to His promise to bless me because I gave to Him. Or two, um, I'm doing something wrong and I'm under a curse. Under a curse, under a curse. I'm cursed, and it leaves us drifting from God. New Covenant thinking, what do we know? (laughs) number one there is no curse if you are in Christ no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ 
Trials fall into four categories. One, they test our faith. James 1, consider it pure joy when you face trials. You lose your job, it's an opportunity to grow in faith. Two, pruning. Sometimes God takes away things to make us more fruitful. Number three, discipline. If we are off track, the Father will discipline us. Hebrews chapter 12 and following, and it could be painful, but it's not the curse. It's loving discipline. And number four, it may be you are just suffering, unjust suffering in the path of Christ so that you can display faith in him. First Peter 2, Romans chapter 12, and in the midst of evil, you do good. And in the midst of your weakness, God will do what only he can do. Different way of thinking as we, we process our suffering, right? Do you see that? Does that make sense? And it protects us. Um, we could go on. We got to keep on. <laughs> TV evangelists that go off, they immediately, the, the error of saying, hey, um, give to God and he will give you all this old covenant thinking, right? New covenant reality protects us. New covenant thinking protects us from that or clarity. Second reason, and, and this is the one that, that I think the Lord wants us to really soak in today and into this week is this. When we understand the new covenant, it propels us to worship and it fills, as it fills our hearts with gratitude. This week as I was just asking the Lord, based on this truth, Lord, where are you leading our church family this week? And I sensed him just saying, John, make this week a week of worship as you bask in the joy of the new covenant. Let it fill you with gratitude. And so I'll just walk us through five obvious reasons to be thankful as we reflect on the new covenant. One is thank you, Lord, for making a new covenant with me that doesn't depend on my effort but on your grace. When we enter the new covenant, we are a new creation in Christ. The old is come, gone, the new is here. What did we do to deserve the new covenant? What did any of us do to deserve this? Absolutely nothing. It's purely God's grace. Two, thank you, Lord, for making a new covenant with me, inscribing your will on my mind and on my heart. And what a gift God has given us as he's placed his will on our minds and on our hearts through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And what does Paul say in Romans 8? He says, the mind governed by the, the Spirit is life and peace where the mind governed by the flesh is, is death. And what a gift God has given us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Three, thank you, Lord, for making a new covenant with me so that I might know you intimately. Why doesn't God offer us the financial and physical blessing in the new covenant? Why doesn't he say, if you give, I'll give you all, another barn full of stuff? We don't need a barn full of stuff <laughs> when we have the one who made the barn and filled it with the stuff. <laughs> we have him. He is our inheritance. He is the one that satisfies. Thank you, Lord, for your, just the promise of your, your, this relationship, intimacy. For thank you for making a new covenant with me so that I might be forever forgiven. We see the picture of Jesus Sitting down at the right hand of the Father, we are forever forgiven. It is finished. And then five, thank you for making a new covenant with me and 
all this possible through the sacrifice of Jesus for us on the cross. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And what a Savior we have. So we understand as we gain clarity on the new covenant, it, it really gives us clarity on the glory of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? The mediator of this covenant, who the only one who could do this, as we sang earlier, he gave his life, lived the perfect life, and then gave his life for us on the cross that through faith in him, we might have this promise, might enter into the blessings of this covenant with our God. And so bringing it all together, big idea, God made a new covenant with us through Jesus. The challenge is to live with new covenant clarity. Why does it matter? It protects us from the error of old covenant thinking, but it also propels us to live a life of worship. Today, if you're hearing this, and this is all new, and, I, and this is a lot, I know, and I encourage you to, to keep absorbing and keep seeking, but you may be asking, how do I enter the new covenant? Well, how do I experience this? And there's only one way, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. But the good news is that that way is open to you today. And I love the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's celebrating the new covenant reality. And he's saying, guys, today is the day of salvation. God is reconciling us to himself, ending the war through what Christ did for us. And, and Paul's lit up to get that word out, that message. But Peter says it in Acts chapter 2. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. And it's a simple call of, Lord, I can't save myself. And I need your grace, I need your mercy, forgive me. And as we look to him for forgiveness, he, um, we experience that rebirth. God does a, a work in our hearts and puts his law on our hearts and minds. And then uh, we, we begin to walk with him and experience that. And I invite you into that today. For the rest of us who have entered the new covenant, let's make this week a week of worship. Would you guys be good for that? Thinking about... One thing is really our focus of this year, that, that our one thing would be to seek the, the Lord, but then to, to gaze upon His beauty and then just worship Him. And as we allow this truth to take root in our hearts this week, what better way to respond than just a week of gratitude, just all week long to fill it up with praise. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I love the way the psalmist in Psalm 116 says it. He's, uh, he's reflecting on the goodness of the Lord. The question is, what shall I, verse 12, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Isn't that a great question here in light of the new covenant too? What, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? And listen to what he says. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Isn't that a great picture of what we do in communion? And, and when he lifts up the cup of salvation, we know their cup of salvation was the cup of the Passover, and it was temporary, and it was, but it was, was their hope. But he says, what can I do to, in return to the Lord for his goodness to me? I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. And today we're going to do that in just a moment. We're going to lift up the cup and say, here's my hope. Thank you, Lord. And then he says in verse 17, and I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. And so in these moments as we come to communion, I invite you to
So we take the bread representing the body of Christ that was given for us. And as we take the cup representing his blood poured out for our redemption, to let this be a time of worship, a time we confess our sin to him, but also that we celebrate what he's done for us and renew our devotion to follow him. If you're new with us today, we, the way we observe communion, our, some leaders will hand out the, the elements together, and then we'll uh, have a time of prayer and, and worship, and then we'll uh, eat the bread and drink the, the juice together. But would you join me in prayer? Father, as we come to these moments of communion and as we reflect on the covenant that you made with us, we realize that we're on sacred ground and holy ground and that there's no way to to fully express our gratitude or the praise that you deserve for what you've given us. But to the best of our abilities, Father, we We want to praise you and thank you for our salvation that we receive freely by your grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus, thank you for taking on humanity and living the perfect life and then being willing to take upon yourself our guilt and die in our place on the cross. As we think of the ways that your body was beaten and bloodied and bruised and broken for us, we see the severity of our sin and what we deserve, but we also see the greatness of your love and we praise you for that. Lord, I thank you for this promise of the new covenant, that you're a God of hope and that through faith in you that we can know that you will finish this work that you've begun in us. Thank you for the opportunity to be ministers of this new covenant where we can go and share this good news with the people around us and know that it's not by works of the law that we're saved, but it is by grace in your promise. We praise you for this, Lord. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.